Anybody can have a lucky night and catch a fall. So this is the way it's going to be in your match for the WWF title. It's not a one-fall match. It's the man that can get the most falls on the other man will become the WWF champion. Do you have a problem with that? I don't have a problem with that. Do you have a problem with that? I don't have a problem. How long of a match are we talking about? You hear this, McMahon? Yes, I've just joined you again here on headset and... One hour! Whoa! Oh my goodness! No timeouts! No nothing! Because I gotta tell you something. These two guys right here can perform, and there's somebody that's gonna make them. And that's me, March 31st, Anaheim! Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to February of 1996, Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 is the WCW show, looking at Super Bowl. Volume 3 is ECW, looking at Cyberslam. We're here to discuss the WWF in In Your House 6. I'm being joined first by Chris White. Chris, good afternoon. Hi, Bob. How you doing? I'm very well. Chris is a little bit under the weather, so if he sounds like a brand new guest, uh, that's why. Uh, and Rory McNamara. Hi, guys. Uh, Rory, kicks off with the news. Okay. Vince McMahon's wider plan for the Billionaire Ted segments became clearer this month with a series of attacks on the promotion. We will outline this in detail later on. The moves included the company filing a complaint with the FTC about predatory business practices by WCW. Also, and this did make it to air, was a print advert the company attempted to place in both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. While what ultimately ran was more tame, They did show an edit on Raw that read, Has Ted Turner lost $40 million of your money in his personal vendetta against the World Wrestling Federation? Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, is expected to join WCW after giving his 90-day notice on February 21st. It is said that WCW would have offered him a much more favourable contract, more money for fewer dates and more time to spend with his family. The WWF responded to the news by suspending Hall for six weeks for what, in theory at least, is an unrelated punishment. On that timeline, he would miss WrestleMania. There is also talk, although less concrete, that Kevin Nash, a.k.a. Diesel, will also be going to WCW. Hulk Hogan has spoken with Nash about coming in to work a main event program with him, and there are further rumours that Bret Hart has also been approached. Bret Hart will face Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania in a 60-minute match, where the wrestler with the most falls wins. This is after Shawn Michaels defeated Owen Hart at In Your House 6, and Bret retained against Diesel in a steel cage after Undertaker tore through the ring apron and pulled Diesel under. Elsewhere on the show, Vader against Yokozuna was announced for WrestleMania, Razor Ramon defeated the 1-2-3 Kid in a crybaby match, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeated Duke Drosy. It looks like the return of the Ultimate Warrior is back on, with a pair of Warrior video packages airing on the two rules after the pay-per-view, although it is not currently clear about what what plans are for him. 
David Boy Smith made the news after being acquitted on an aggravated assault charge, not before surprising some people by revealing wrestling to be fake. Witness, witnesses for his alleged victim suggest Smith picked him up before hitting a powerbomb or a pile driver-like manoeuvre. But as Smith, along with other wrestlers, testified, the move would not be possible without the assistance of the person taking it. And we end with the ratings for the month. On January the 27th, Nitro with Hogan and Flair did a 2.8 against Rawls 2.4. The Bret Undertaker title match on February the 5th wasn't enough as Nitro did a 2.9 against Rawls 2.7. Raw didn't air on February the 12th. The Westminster Dog Show doing a 3.9 in its place. Nitro unopposed did a 3.7. Coming off of In Your House 6, Raw did a 3.1 to Nitro's 2.9. Nine, the combined 6.0 being the highest rating until the following week on February 26, with Raw doing a 3.1 and Nitro winning the day with a 3.2. Nitro's replay figures for the entire month also hovers around the 1.0 mark per show. We open Raw on February the 5th with Shawn Michaels and Diesel against the British Bulldog and Yokozuna. After your bog-standard WWF tag match, Bulldog goes to break up a pin off a Michael Splash. Michael's moves, Bulldog squashes Yokozuna. Michael's then superkicks Yokozuna out of the ring and the faces win by countout. After the match, Cornette goes off on one on Yokozuna. Vincent Mann then literally says, Cornette is verbally raping Yokozuna. Yoko flips and cleans house. He's turning face. We get another Cactus Jack promo. He says maybe he's finally found a hardcore home where he can have nice days. The 1-2-3 kid comes out carrying a baby's bottle ahead of his match with Hakushi. This match is pretty good, actually. Vincent Mann says, Despite the legal threat of action from Turner Broadcasting, coming up is the latest edition of Billionaire Ted. Kid wins the match with a double underhook suplex from the top rope. Clarence Mason is still campaigning for the reinstatement of Vader. We get an interview with Gorilla Monsoon, who says he felt like he was hit by a freight train. He wants to apologise to the fans for responding as Gorilla Monsoon, not as the interim president. He said he will return after WrestleMania and that he has faith in Roddy Piper. The main event is Undertaker against Bret Hart for the WWF title. Diesel walks out and jumps in on commentary. Distraction gives Bret the upper hand in the match. Diesel, like Tony Schiavone, thinks a bird's eye view comes from sitting at ringside. Diesel is really exposed on commentary, some of these jokes. Anyway, Taker picks up Bret for a tombstone, but Bret ends up kicking the ref and knocking him out. It skews up Diesel to attack Bret. Taker then attacks Diesel. Diesel then sets up and hits a jackknife powerbomb on the Undertaker, which is quite impressive. Then another, and the match ends in a no contest. We end with Billionaire Ted back in the press conference. Isn't it true WCW has lost millions of dollars over the years, wasting his stockholders' money? Yeah, but I'm having fun. After the merger with Time Warner, will that change? He wants money, that's what motivates him. Raw goes off the air with a picture of an advert the WWF attempted to place in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. The advert reads, Attention stockholders, Time Warner beware, in big lettering, and has, Has Ted Turner lost $40 million of your money in his personal vendetta against the World Wrestling Federation? Where are these losses reported in TBS financial statements? A modified version did end up being published in the New York Times. Uh, there was no roar on February the 12th as it was preempted for the Westminster Dog Show, so we'll move on to In Your House. Okay, uh, uh, next question. Billionaire Ted, isn't it true that your wrestling company has lost millions of dollars over the years, thus wasting your stockholders' good money? Yeah, but, but I, I'm having fun. You know, it's kind of like a, like a plaything. 
When the $40 billion merger with Time Warner goes through, will you exhibit the same attitude toward the Time Warner stockholders? Well, hell yeah. I mean, as long as I'm having fun, that's, that's all that matters, right? But certainly your stockholders care about the millions of dollars you've wasted. It's their money. Well, sure, sure they care, but, but I don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I'm entitled to a, yeah, you know, a play thing, a play thing. Uh, all right, next question. Billionaire Ted, what is it that motivates you? Money, power, power, money. Yeah, take your pick. I want more. I want all everything. So when I die and I see my daddy again, I can say, Dad, kiss this. Then that's all, folks. See ya. And we will open up the show with "In Your House Six, Roy. You can kick us off with the results. Can indeed. Razor Ramon defeated the 1-2-3 Kid in a crybaby match. Hunter Hurst Helmsley defeated Duke Drozzy. Yokozuna defeated the British Bulldog by disqualification. Shawn Michaels defeated Owen Hart in a match for a WWF World Championship title shot at WrestleMania 12. And Bret Hart defeated Diesel in a steel cage match for the WWF World Championship. Chris, what do you think of the show? Um, it's hard to be too critical of it, really, because I don't think there was anything particularly bad outside of the crybaby stipulation. Uh, a few things did annoy me, like the finish to the main event. I, re- I didn't enjoy that, uh, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in more depth when we get to the match in itself. And it obviously had the uh, Sean Owen match was pretty wonderful. So all in all, I thought it was a pretty good show. Um, obviously not too long, only five matches on the card. Uh Slow start, but by the time you get them last two matches with Sean Owen and Brett Diesel, I think you've got two great matches there. So, a worthwhile pay-per-view. Roy? Yeah, I agree. Uh, In Your House, by its very nature, it's always going to be a placeholder show. And when you put one between the Royal Rumble and the WrestleMania, WrestleMania uh, 12, it's going to be a real placeholder show. I thought what needed to be good was very, very good. Uh, Owen, Sean in particular, and the main event had its moments too. However, the first hour, in my opinion, was not very good. So it was a, a real show of two halves, in my opinion. But it passed muster. Yeah, um, I think it says a lot for how low standards got in the early to middle part of last year that we're, we're looking at this as, as a good show. Um, there's a very, very good match between Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart in the middle of this. Otherwise, this show ain't. There's also a very good promo segment between um, Jim Cornette and Roddy Piper that we'll, we'll hear in a bit. Other than those two things, though, this is a very underwhelming show. Um, Bret Hart, Diesel, I, I disagree with Chris. I don't think that was a very good match at all, so, say for a very creative finish. Um, and it, it must admit, it does seem like all three of us are a bit down on this match, but there was some wider praise of Razor and the Kid, which I didn't think was that good either. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, we start with Sonny on a beach in a bikini. Viewer discretion is advised. We're in Louisville, Kentucky. Vince McMahon and Joe Lawler are on the call. And we open up with Razor Ramon versus the 1-2-3 Kid with Ted DiBiase in a crybaby match, essentially. Well, the stipulation will become clear. It's a normal match. We'll get to it in a minute. Um, we see clips from superstars of the Kid hitting Razor Ramon over the back with a baby stroller or buggy, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on, then following uh, the following week with a guitar. Kid comes out pushing a stroller with a teddy bear in it. Apparently it's a razor teddy bear because it's wearing a necklace. Kid twice attempts to rip the head off the bear, but he can't, so he just throws it at Razor. 
We started at a pace of Razor hitting some quick rights and sending Kid sprawling to the outside. Kid with Spronz with a shoulder tackle. Kid goes to chop Razor. Razor turns it over, then sends Kid flying across the ring and then hits a fallaway slam. He sets to the Razor's edge, which the crowd pop for, but the Kid slips to the outside. Razor leans through the ropes. DBRC throws some baby powder in his eyes. Apparently the ref didn't see it happen and couldn't deduce it from the clouds of powder afterwards. Kid hits a couple of quick leg drops and a top rope splash, but only gets two. Kid goes for a sleeper. Razor fades, then rallies. Drives Kid back first into the turnbuckle, but Kid jumps on the back of his shoulders and re- reapplies the hold. The hold goes to the mat. Razor goes out and then rallies. Crotches Kid on the top rope, and we have parity. The Kid breaks up a ten count with a pin attempt. Razor kicks out. Kid hits a flying crossbody. Razor rolls it through and nearly gets a three. The Kid then hits a spinning wheel kick for a two. Razor hits a fallaway slam for a two. Kid grabs some baby power. Razor kicks it out of his hands. Hits the Razor's edge. Pins him but pulls up at two. He's been watching two cold Scorpio, clearly. Then hits another Razor's edge and wins the match. Uh, we'll, we'll come to the post-show uh, match angle in a bit. Rory, what do you think of this? Yeah, this definitely had its moments. Uh, these two clearly work well together. Uh, I thought the match was fairly well-paced. They both look good uh, on offense, uh, the kid especially. I thought Razor timed his comebacks well. Uh, a couple of nice high spots that I enjoyed. And an, uh, an emphatic enough finish, which I think this match and feud needed. And the, uh, the right guy definitely went over, which was fine. But I thought they were both seemed to only be at about collectively 80% each. I think they could definitely have taken us up another gear if they'd wanted to. So it was a, a decent watch, uh, a fair start to a pay-per-view. So Razor needed to win, and he did. But I felt they were holding something back throughout, and that let it down a little bit. But a worthwhile start to a, to a pay-per-view. Chris? Yeah, I definitely agree with Rory. It did feel to me more like a TV match that, rather than a pay-per-view yeah. opener. It felt like they were holding it back, holding something back. Um, the storyline sort of angle between the two, there's like Razor hasn't been able to get his hands on the kid. That's been happening for a number like of weeks, hasn't it? So considering the show's tagline, "Rage in the Cage," you'd think like rather than a crybaby match, a cage match would. Would work well. They just kind of went in there and had like a a wrestling match. You wouldn't think that they'd been so involved with each other as as former teammates and then turning on each, for such a long period of time. Like it just felt like a a wrestling match, and I didn't really want it to. And the other thing, the, the action was okay, but I didn't realise that baby powder was so debilitating. <laughs> I thought it would have been a minor inconvenience, but seemingly taking some baby powder to the face it knocks you straight to the floor. I suppose it would. I wouldn't want it in the eyes, but yeah, I agree. It shouldn't. It shouldn't send you sprawling to the mat and uh, and going all over the place. No, th- th- yeah, this right. This I think both these guys we've seen do better. I think as a collective, we w- we would all say they're both collectively capable of more. Um, whether it was just the placement on the show in the opening, whether it was just a stipulation, and we'll come on to that more in a second. Um, I think Rory's right. Get, I think. Them at 80% is probably a good way to describe it. Um, this was a weird match in the sense that I think had they have been able to maintain the action from the first and third thirds of the show, of the match in the middle, it would have been a really good match. But I kind of thought this match was really let down by an extensively long pair of sleepers. I mean, I understand that that's a part, that's a kind of 
something you'll lean on when you're putting together a wrestling match, but uh, it didn't, it didn't fit the match. It didn't feel like you generally apply a sleeper to calm a crowd down. They weren't that high to begin with. So I, I didn't think that worked. Um, and then we get to this post-match angle. The ref hands Razor a giant baby bottle, which Razor pulls over the kid. He then powders DBRC before putting the diaper onto the kid. That was unnecessary, and Razor's facial expression to the crowd shows it. Kid is angry, and he smashes up the stroller. Um, Rory, I don't think we can start this final bit better than Razor Ramon's kind of look through the hard camera and shrug. Yes, I think, or I hope he was uh, well in on the joke on that one. And they say wrestling's cartoonish. <laughs> this was, again, this what this what the stipulation was, and I can understand that, but this was going a little bit too far. But what was the stipulation? What what was the... What was the idea that you get to humiliate your opponent, I guess? I suppose so. That's all I can think of. I mean, I can't think of any other crybaby matches in history, and I hope we don't get any more after this. And I suppose, in a way, if you want to look at it, it kind of telegraphed the finish, because there's no way... There's no way that uh, the baby face is going to end up wearing a, a diaper or a nappy or whatever you want to call it and being fed a baby bottle. I thought... I thought DiBiase probably played it best as well by when the I think he's only he was he was holding it together best. But I thought the kids overacting, which we, in fairness he was probably told to do. It just didn't look right to me. It was unnecessarily humiliating, even given the kids' character alignment, and I didn't like it. Chris, did you feel a bit of sympathy for the kid? Yeah, I felt sympathy for everyone involved in the angle, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, this brought, like, it was a, it, the match itself was fine. This was pretty terrible. It completely, it, it almost ruined the match, even though it was completely after it. We had such an emphatic finish, and then this happened, and I don't think anyone involved enjoyed it. It made me laugh throughout the match. Vince, Vince made a point of being like, the first ever crybaby match. I was like, no one, no one cares. That's not a good thing. <laughs> And, uh, There's a good reason for that, yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, I really didn't enjoy this angle. I, I felt sympathy for everyone involved. No, there are some times where you watch WWF and you feel like, this is for Vince McMahon's entertainment only. This was for Vince McMahon's entertainment only. I don't know that anybody else, viewer, performer, anybody enjoyed this. I don't know that anyone felt, you know what, this 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 whole opening match segment was beneficial, benefited because of this stipulation at the end. It didn't really matter. We're going to have forgotten about it next month. Well, maybe we won't, I suppose. But, you, you know, like it's, what was the point was kind of my feeling. And, you know, I, I think Ray's summed it up best when he put the diaper on kid and he just looked at the hard camera and he just kind of shrugged and went, eh, yeah, like, yeah, you know, I, I know. That was a look that said, I know. And that's not the best thing. Anyway, Ray Rougeau is backstage with Sonny. And we move on to Hunter Hearst Helmsley with Elizabeth Hilton, just a, a, another model, uh, against Duke the Dumpster Druzy in a rematch from the Raw Rumble free-for-all. We start at a pace. Druzy throws Helmsley across the ring by his hair. Druzy hits Helmsley with his lifting belt, then hits a 10-punch, while Helmsley manages to drop him on the turnbuckle. Hunter sets for the pedigree to a somewhat surprising lack of crowd reaction. Druzy slips out. Hunter whips Druzy into the ring steps. The pair stand up and threaten the back back and forth. Hunter pokes him in the eye, then hits a nice high knee. A guy in the crowd has a sign that says, Hello, USWA fans. 
Drew hits a turnbuckle hard, manages to get a high boot in as a block. Hunt hits a neck breaker. Drew hits a nice spine buster. Drew hits a back body drop, screams towards the fans and gets a devastating wave of apathy in return. He then hits his trash compactor move, a sort of tilt and whirl power slam. Helsley nearly landed on his head. Drew grabs his trash can from the outside, gets it in the ring. The Gref grabs the bottom bit, Hunter then grabs the lid and leathers Drewsy in the head. Not only does it make a rather loud noise, it actually flies off and nearly hits the referee, who doesn't score for a qualification, <laughs> and Hunter wins the match. Chris? Um, I, I, I thought this is relatively harmless, uh, considering the uh, Duke the Dumpster Drowsy character. I mean, that gimmick's not really going to propel him anywhere, but I thought he looked pretty good in this match, and Hunter certainly excels at selling and he, he looked very good doing that in the early going of the match um the finish was slightly ridiculous with the uh lid making a loud noise and as you say flying past the ref but uh aside from that i thought this was a uh a, an a, an average to good match average to okay match there's nothing wrong with it really um the crowd was quite dead it was a cheap finish but yeah it, meh basically Rory, if if they if they have plans to turn Hunter Hell's Helmsley into this Ric Flair type character, apparently, um, shouldn't he just be winning? Like, forget yeah. all the shenanigans. Like, again, I know it's it's the heel against the babyface, but it's a heel you've got a lot of seemingly a lot invested in against the babyface that nobody cares about, and yet two shows in a row. Last month sort of made sense with the the angle you were playing. Fair enough. This he should have just beaten him out of sight here, surely. Totally, absolutely right. I mean, where is Duke the Dumpster Drosy on the card? He's a superstar's jobber at best, and has been for the last two years. I mean, Vince needs to realise just because you're a heel doesn't mean you have to win every match by cheating. It's perfectly acceptable to win a match cleanly and still be a bad guy, and that is what should have happened here. Hunter should have just ran through Drosy in this one. But maybe a couple of hope spots and that's it. Instead, the match went on for about 10 minutes and it felt every bit of it. I wasn't as high on it as Chris was, I'm afraid. It it was plodding, it bored me. The finish was very, very stupid and sports entertainment-y. And it doesn't help anybody. I, I didn't enjoy it at all. No, the the mechanics of the match were fine, but nobody cared. Um, and it's a problem when you've got a baby face that basically just disappeared for the last six months of last year. And, you know... He's a bin man. Like that's what, like that's that's not the that's not the kind of guy when you take you know you got children and you take into a wrestling. So it's like yeah, you cheer the garbage man. Like don't do that. Um, yeah, this the, like mechanically this match was fine other than Hunter nearly getting dropped on his head. I didn't really have a problem with it. Um, but nobody cared. I didn't care. Um, and you get to the end, and you're like really. We're, we're doing this. We're protecting Hunter. I, who knows? Um, let's move on. Anyway, you can buy jumpers for Undertaker, Brett, Diesel, and Michaels for twenty nine dollars ninety five. They're selling them in one size fits all for adults <laughs> and about four different youth sizes. <laughs> A one size fits all jumper. Have you seen some wrestling fans? Good luck with that. Um, Jim Cornette. For nearly three years, I stood in the shadows while you hot dog that spotlight. Well, it's my turn. Because I gave you the gold, and yet you get all the credit and all the money. 
And as far as you owe it on, the only gold you wore is when you hid behind me. Me! And British Bulldog, brother, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because this 650 pounds of bad attitude is going to burn Cam Cornette down to the ground. Speaking of one size fits all, we get a promo from Yokozuna. Yes, really. Uh, he says uh, for nearly three years he stood in the shadows. Must have been a bloody big shadow. Uh, he's going to burn Cap Cornet to the ground. Um, Rory, I, I don't know. I, I'd have had Yokozuna talking. <laughs> Not if he's going to talk like that. Um, it was it was short. It got its point across. Um, I'm 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 fine with it. I'm fine with it. it. I don't think it's too much of a problem. He needed to say something. Uh, I'd still like to know really. Could, could, could he not have been a, fa- a silent baby face? Yeah, perhaps so. I'd, I'd be, I'd be okay with that. I mean, we know, we already know what his motive is. He's been kicked out of camp corner and he's angry. Okay. We don't really need him to explain that. I agree. But I, I didn't have a problem with this, with, the, with this promo. It was, it was brief enough for it not to get to me. Chris. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really uh, mind the promo. It, obviously, it was nothing to see, but it didn't really. I didn't think it was particularly negative. And but as Rory said, um, you already know what his motivations are. So you could have probably just had the hill speaking here, like get Cornet on the mic, and then he can talk about why he's been kicked out, and you build the angle up that way and keep Yokozuna silent. If you really have to have a promo segment, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good, but. It was short enough to be possible. Yeah, um, and I, 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 I'm not saying this was a bad promo. I was actually kind of somewhat pleasantly surprised at, at how well he delivered it you know, relatively. Um, but I had a, you know, I just kind of got to the end and went, did that do more damage than it, it helped? I kind of think it might have. I mean, I, I, we are going to get Cornet in a promo later on, but I, I agree with Chris. I don't know that... This would have been any worse. In fact, I suspect it would have been far better if we'd have heard from Cornette, you know, saying we're going to, you know, we're this is this is what we're going to do to Yokozuna, and this is why. Like, I don't know that I don't know we'd learn much from Yokozuna. Like, it would have made more sense if we'd have found out from Cornette, even if it had been a load of shit. If we'd have found out from Cornette why he why he you know kicked Yokozuna out, and then we got a preview of the match, but. Anyway, it was fine. Um, the British Bulldog is up next with Jim Cornette against Yokozuna. Yokozuna hits a body drop, then a couple of clotheslines. He goes for an elbow drop, but Bulldog moves. Yokozuna squashes him in the corner, then eyes up the bonsai drop, but Cornette pulls him free. He whips him into the ring post, charges at him, but Bulldog moves and he hits his head. Bulldog goes to the top and hits a flying something, lands on his feet, and Yokozuna takes a bump. Bulldog does try and knock Yoko off his feet, uh, does try and Try the Yokozuna knock him off his feet spot, but he fails. Yokozuna hits a fallaway slam, which gets a pop from the crowd. Yokozuna hits a belly-to-belly suplex. Cornette comes into the ring, hits him with his tennis racket, and that's a disqualification. What a shit ending I've got. After the match, Yokozuna comes out after Cornette. Vader comes out, and he and Bulldog... Uh, goes after Yokozuna goes after Cornette. Vader comes out, and he and Bulldog lead a beatdown. Vader pulls out some handcuffs and they cuff into the ropes. The whole thing has an amazing lack of heat. The attack continues until officials come out. Yokozuna does rally once or twice. This goes on forever. Chris? 
really nothing to see. Um, it, from the match itself or from the post-match angle, that just went forever. It dragged and dragged. Um, and the match, like, considering, like, how we, the finish to both this match and the main event, it makes the finish to the uh, previous uh, Hunter Hurst-Helmsley match even more ridiculous because it's just two cheap finishes in a row. There was no way anyone could possibly care about this. No one in the crowd did care about this. And then when you have a really prolonged beatdown afterwards, just no one cared. And you got at some point, you should just call an audible, like, no one cares about this angle it's been going for five minutes already. Let's not do five more. Let's get out of here. But it just went on. I really, oh, I have no positive words about this. Roy? Uh, no, me neither, I'm afraid. This was just tripe. Absolute tripe. <laughs> Trying to find positives. I thought Yoko on offense was fairly decent. A couple of his moves looked, looked okay, considering. But there was nothing to this at all. It was just five minutes of complete blah. And a really, really cheap, rubbishy ending, which was just, ugh, whacking him over the arse with a tennis racket. I mean, come on, you know, how old are we? And then the beatdown, which wasn't really a beatdown, in which nothing really happened, and the crowd just didn't care. That is a bad, bad sign for Yokozuna's babyface turn. This was just uh, 10, 12 minutes of complete nothingness, and we're damn near naught for three on this show at the moment. Yeah, we're close. I actually saw it as a as a bad sign for Vader's heel run. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think in I agree with that. in January they got it about right, and I I was under the impression he was going to disappear for a few months, and I don't think that would have been a negative. Like I know to a point you might say, well, the the iron might be hot for Vader in the immediate aftermath of getting suspended rather than a few months down the line. I wouldn't have brought him back for this. Now, yeah, all right, last month I said, more with curiosity, I kind of wouldn't have minded seeing Yokozuna and Vader, but I was thinking like a, a raw main event somewhere down the line. Like, I don't know that I would have built this into this big program. I, you know, Yokozuna's not in, as we saw in the match, Yokozuna right now, I don't think he's in shape where he can do singles matches anymore. Um, admittedly, Bulldog's not the right opponent for him anyway. Um, but this isn't the Yokozuna that was charging around the ring two and a half years ago in, in matches against guys like Lex Luger and Bret Hart. Um, nothing, nothing of the sort. Um, and yeah, the match was nothing special. The finish was something else. I mean, the finish was so lazy. Like, is, is that the best you've got? It's just Cornette just steps into the ring, lines Yokozuna up, and then just swaps him over the back. <laughs> like, there was no attempt at creativity at all. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, Chris, was it just a case it was too early since Yokozuna turned for this to really have any impact? I just don't know if he's that great a fit in general. Like, he just... What, as as a face? Yeah, like, I don't know why people, um, why people would be behind him. Like, I think he's much better suited to how he was before he turned, and... Yeah, I mean, this match, as you said, is bad. It looked bad for Vader as well, but I'm not sure I persist with the Yokozuna face turn after this. Well, I don't think you can go back. Um, I, I think, I think uh, we, we may reach the point of no return, Rory. Yeah, um, I, you, you can't switch Yokozuna back yet. That would just be a very obvious ad, uh, admission of defeat. It's, 
a beatdown like that, or, or if a beatdown worthy of the name, we should have had the crowd howling and spitting, and they should have been furious and you know, begging Yokozuna to try and make a comeback. But they just weren't. There was no heat on it whatsoever, as you say, for, for Vader either. And that is a, a bad, bad sign. I think the problem, just briefly, is that um, we probably concentrate what I said slightly earlier. Maybe we do need a couple more promos from Yokozuna, or at least about Yokozuna, because at the moment, people won't really get behind him because all we know is he's, he's, he's been kicked out of Camp Cornet. Is that enough of a reason to actually cheer him? Make it enough of a reason to cheer him. They haven't done that yet, and they better start doing that quick. We're off to a bad start. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it is a case of a lot of fans don't see him as a babyface yet. They just yeah. see him as an enemy of Cornette and Bulldog. Um, and yeah, I, this was this was just a misstep. This, this entire bit, it was a bad match. The match we haven't really discussed the match to a great degree. There's not a lot to say really, um, but. That angle went on forever, and it's like the the longer it went, the less it connected. I kind of feel like if they'd have just beaten the piss out of him for thirty seconds and got run off by some baby faces. Now, okay, I think there is for once there is a good explanation as to why Yokozuna didn't get any help, which is well he was a heel up until two weeks ago, so he may not have any friends. That kind of makes sense, um, but other than that, I who knows. Goldust and Marlena are on the America Online chat. Goldust is getting quite touchy with the feely with the typist. And next up is Owen Hart with Jim Cornette versus Shawn Michaels with the winner facing the WWF champion at WrestleMania. Michaels comes out dancing on top of the In Your House house set for rope swinging onto the R-way. Like every match this evening, we seem to start before the bell. Sean sends Owen tumbling to the outside and completes the rest of his ring entrance. This goes on forever. They exchange shelves and we get underway. Sean slides through Owen's legs to the outside and high-fives some fans. They repeat the spot. This time Owen goes to the outside and goes to high-fives some fans in the front row, but nobody wants to. Michaels then comes off the top and it's a lovely twisting crossbody. Michaels pulls on Owen's hair while Cornette distracts the ref. Michael sends Owen down. They both do a kick up, kip up, and Michael hits a Frankensteiner. Michaels runs at Owen, who hits the scoop slam. Owen sets for a sharpshooter, but Michaels fires him off. Jerry Lawler tries to calm Owen and uh, tries to claim Owen invented the camel clutch, which he currently has Sean in. Owen then floors Sean with a knee. He goes for a bridge pin for a two. Owen levels Sean with a heel kick. Sean falls to the outside. Michael suplexes Owen off the apron, but Owen lands on his feet. Michaels flies at Owen, who catches him in a lovely power slam onto the matting. Owen goes to the top, hits a high angle drop kick for a two. Owen fires Sean off the turnbuckle, then levers him with a speedy clothesline. Owen gets a shot, Sean in the sharpshooter. Michaels, after a struggle, gets to the ropes. Owen shoots some snot at Sean's direction. Sean nearly sneaks in a pin, but Owen hits an enziguri, sending, tumbling, sending him tumbling to the outside. Sean is spark out, and they're saying it's the same enziguri that knocked him out on Raw a few months ago. Owen, rather than take the count out, brings Sean back into the ring to pin him, but Sean barely kicks out. Owen charges at Sean in the corner, jumps in, but Sean moves, and he basically crotches himself on the ring post. Sean does a kip up, rallies, hits over the flying forearm, then a body slam. Climbs to the top, hits the top rope elbow drop, then knocks Cornette off the canvas. He goes to the sweet chin music super kick, Owen ducks, ducks, Sean spins him around, and this time he hits him, he pins him, gets the three, and the crowd pop big. Rory? Uh, not for four. <laughs> Only joking. <laughs> this was 
this was fab. It was everything I hoped it would be. From the uh, the little character bits at the beginning with the, the high five, not high five, into the action, which was just beautiful to watch. These two just meshed. They just couldn't have meshed any better. The work was fantastic. Their counters were brilliant. Their timing was on. Uh, they both broke out some new spots from them that we don't normally see. Spots that we don't normally see in a WWF ring. I mean, things like rolling prawn holds. They're they're very very rare. You've seen in uh, this element of North America, and they just made it look as, as natural as anything. It was beautiful. I've used that word twice. It was that kind of match. They just clicked, and I was with them from the first bell to the last. And the ending sequence, where they were both fighting over their finisher, knowing it's as if it reminded me of Virtua Fighter on the Sega Saturn which both characters are down to 1% of energy. You know, just you're battling to hit one big move and you will get the win. And in the end, Sean just ekes it out. This was absolutely fantastic. And boy, did this show need it. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Chris? I agree with pretty much everything Rory just said. Um, with the three matches we've had preceding this, that first that crybaby stipulation, then uh, the, the, uh, the dumpster match, and... Um, that prolonged beatdown, interest was waning, but Sean's entrance alone was wonderful and it really set the tone for this match. And as soon as he comes out with that entrance, it's slide, running down to the ring, sliding in, cleaning house, and then finishing his entrance, little things like that. It, there's no way you could uh, be slow. Like, he makes you, it made you sit up watching it, like, and I was interested and I was excited again. It, it just, just from him coming out and then the match delivered pretty much. Every, on every level, um, I really enjoyed little things like the, the high five spots, but and uh, where Owen and uh, Cornette are complaining about hair pulling, so Cornette starts arguing with the ref, so Sean really blatantly pulls the hair for the crowd, things like that, and the action backed it up. The finishing sequence was, as Rory said, that was really great. That was um, everything about this match was great, and if Sean goes on to win the title at Mania. This is definitely, you could throw this match for the title as like the main event of it in your house down the road because the work between these two was wonderful. If you need a, if you need a title match for, for one month, you could come back to this program and Owen being a heel could demand a title shot. For, basically just run this storyline again. Owen's the one who injured him and he didn't get a fair shot. He wants a shot of the title. And, uh, yeah, you could, I, I thought this was great. Yeah, um, to deal with a, a couple of small negatives, firstly. Um, Sean said before this match, both on Raw and I think on the show itself, that this was the most important match of his career, e.g., you know, WrestleMania is my ultimate goal. This stands in the way between me and Mark McGoal. Therefore, it's I, one of, if not the most important match I'm ever going to wrestle so far. Fair enough. I then wonder why in the first two minutes of the most important match of your career that you're jogging around ringside, high-fiving fans, high-fiving mm. Vince McMahon. It was really entertaining, but it didn't fit. It, it was more the case that I, I didn't think it was a bad idea. It just I just felt like you were making a lie of yourself for what you were saying before. This wasn't the biggest match of your career, I don't think. But... If you don't treat it like that, then I just think you're making it up when you talk that way. So there's that. Um, there was also the repeat of the rumble collapse, sorry, the raw collapse kick that Owen did, uh, which 
made a lot of sense as a spot. I even liked when, you know, Sean was kind of spark out at five and then Owen goes to the outside and pulls it back in because he wanted the pin for victory rather than the count out. But I questioned then why Sean, with apparently being spark out, would then climb back in the ring and all of a sudden be fine. Um, that was certainly a negative. I kind of was thinking they were going to explain it as he was playing possum. They haven't done that yet, certainly not on the show or on the rules that followed. That all being said, uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, they, these two are excellent. Um, my criticisms about the, the kind of histrionics at the start, the bit where Owen slides through Sean's legs, goes to the outside and goes to high five some fans and nobody follows was absolutely brilliant. Uh, the action is really good. This match isn't that long. That's probably the one thing that undercuts it being a great match. It's only about 14 or 15 minutes. Um, but they went from, from pretty much from the opening few minutes to the end of the bell, told a good story. The last couple of minutes were excellent. Again, I, you know, Sean did belie some of the, some of the selling, but these two are great. Um, Sean's fantastic and, we are going to talk about Brett in a minute, not getting the kind of, send off the wrong word, not getting the kind of build up to a WrestleMania main event that he needs. But Rory, this is perfect for Sean. Oh, absolutely. In, in every way, from a character perspective, uh, kayfabe and non-kayfabe, and they, having a, a highly competitive, compelling match with somebody as good as Owen, uh, puts him right, uh, right up there, right in the, uh, the eyes of the fans as well. And, I think now people are really going to buy him as the, in every sense of the phrase, number one contender to the WWF title, and quite rightly so, in my opinion. Chris, anything more? No, no, just, yeah, I agree with the uh, negative points you made about the match, but uh, I think just Sean, uh, Owen, Owen's great too, but Sean's just so charismatic, I don't know if that's quite the right word, but that... It's more I kind of words, give it, I think. I, I, I kind of give him a pass, almost, because it's just because of how... When when wrestlers do things that don't fit the story in their matches, it usually really grates with me, but with Sean, I just find him so entertaining that I kind of let it go. Yeah, I just he gets have, away I, with it because he's brilliant, and I'm happy with that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would have I would have let it go <laughs> if it, the, the story story would have kind of been that Sean was playing possum. Now, okay, it didn't, it, it may not have made sense had the ref got to say an eight count and Owen hadn't have bailed Sean out. But other than that, I think it would have made a lot of sense. But Sean pretending to be spark out in theory, being spark out and then rallying back, it, it took the edge off. But still, he is. So good, uh, and, and we will discuss him a bit more later in the show. We now get to them killing time while they set up the cage. Out comes Roddy Piper on the interview stage. Okay, number, he comes from the Rocky Mountains. Obviously inbred, okay? Somebody ought to tell Vader that that thing he wears on his face should tell him that that's not where your jockstrap goes. There's only one. Roddy Piper, there's only one. However, in the case of Vader, maybe that's where it belongs, because he's nuts. But you 520 pounds, big tough bully, right? You see, I wouldn't suspend you. I'm not that stupid of a president. That was the board of directors. No, 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 no. I'm going to keep you around, Vader. You think you're a big tough guy? 520 pounds. Let me tell you one thing right now. Shut up! Whoa. Whoa. 
Hey! Clarence Mason. You'll get sued. When you come up here with me, mister, first thing you do is have a lot of respect. Now, I ain't finished. You... Tell me something. When you were a little kid, is that a tennis racket or a banjo? Does da-dun-dun-dun mean anything to you, huh? Did you used to sit on a porch and play the banjo? Is that how you got Vader, huh? Let me explain something to you, hot rod. You come out here and make all the statements you want that they got a time with a calendar instead of a stopwatch, and you're a real funny guy. But I remember hot rod used to come out with a shirt on him and said, no fear. And I remember hot rod... Used to come out and say he wasn't scared of nothing that ever happened to him because he'd been through it all. You, you were on the streets when you were a kid and nobody could scare you. You betcha. But there was one man that did. Ooh. He scared you and he scared the World Wrestling Federation and he scared everybody out there and he scared every wrestler that stepped in that ring and that was Vader. Wait, wait. So what did Vader do? He scared everybody. So what did the WWF do? You tried to banish him. You tried to exile him. Send him away. He's too hot. We can't touch him. He was hot Vader, not hot Rod. But thanks to this man, Vader is back. So now you're sending a 640-pound man. And you think that he's going to take Vader out. Well, I got news for you. WrestleMania 12, Anaheim, California. What's going to happen to Yokozuna and the rest of the World Wrestling Federation? Whoa, whoa. It's on your head, Hot Rod. Have you ever thought of something, anything? However, think about this for a second. You had Yokozuna. You're one a great manager. You had him, correct? That's right. Now you have Vader, correct? That's right. Yokozuna is 640 pounds. To me, that's about 320 pounds per cheek. Do you know what? In WrestleMania 12 at Anaheim, if Vader loses, you might find yourself cheek to cheek with Yokozuna. Are you going to let well, there's only uh, one hot rod. Bottom line is, buddy, you're going to be out of a job, and at WrestleMania, we're going to see people that are going to fight. Piper manages to pop the crowd by telling them what they already know, that is, Michaels is the number one contender for the title. He also seems to be pushing the idea that it's Sean title, uh, it's sure, this is Sean's title shot, i.e. the only one. It's not, not, not the first time they've ignored his match with Diesel from last year. Piper says he's not stopping it until there's a winner. He calls Yokozuna dumb. He's big enough where he should be able to deal with it. He then calls uh, Vader inbred before saying about his mask, that's not where your drop strap goes, or maybe that's where it belongs. Piper wants Yokozuna against Vader. Out comes Cornette and Clarence Mason. Cornette cuts a great promo, says that Vader is the one everybody fears. Piper implies that if Vader loses at Mania, Cornette might find himself cheek to cheek with Yokozuna. Chris, what do you think of this? It felt they were they were they were killing time, and it felt like it to me. It almost felt like Piper had gone out there and he knew vaguely what he was going to say, but he flip flopped quite a lot. And I, I don't know. It felt like it was killing time because it was. I I, I didn't I didn't really enjoy this. Roy, yeah, I watched this twice and. I liked it a lot less on the second viewing. Um, I think I was just, uh, into the fact that this was two of, without a doubt, two of the greatest talkers 
in wrestling, going at it on the mic for about eight, ten minutes. But watching it again, there wasn't really a massive amount of substance there. And they clearly were just throwing them out there to entertain the live crowd while the cage was being set up, which is fine. I'd, I'd rather have that than another ten minutes of shilling one-size-fits-all T-shirts. But they ended up repeating themselves a bit, going around the houses. It was okay. Again, I didn't lose too much sleep over it, but it wasn't great as a real, say, for example, 15-minute back and forth on a roar with these two could have been. If we go back 18 months, I think, to SummerSlam 94, um, where they were, I think, both setting up and setting down the cage. Of course, famously, Bretton Owen wasn't the the final match on that show. You can uh, thank Undertaker and Undertaker for that. Um, they had a lot of time to store on that show, and I don't think they did a very good job of it. You'll remember the, um, oh, God, um, what was it? it was the it was the try, trying to solve the case the fake undertaker oh, the God. Even solved. <laughs> the, the, those segments we got um I, I thought this was really good um as someone who hasn't seen a lot of piper i know i should have done but piper is just kind of before my time um seeing his kind of promos anyway he was so smooth to a point you know i a lot of a lot of even good promos don't transition points very well and they don't they could often say good things, but not in the most natural way. Piper, I thought, was just incredibly smooth his delivery and getting all of his points across, and he was entertaining enough. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there is certainly something to be said for Piper and Cornette being, I don't know whether dream promo sh- showdown is necessarily the right way of putting it, but certainly two guys who uh, are two of the best talkers of their generation. Now, you're right, it wasn't... It wasn't the most meatier segment. Certainly, it was a segment that was designed to build time, but I thought Piper did a really good job of it. Um, you know, kind of talk, you know, setting up the Yokozuna Vader thing. He did also promise a bloodbath um, for, for WrestleMania, which I don't think people are going to be happy with, and we'll elaborate, well, we will have elaborated a bit more on that in part one, regards to uh, what the uh, major promotions are doing with, uh, with regards to blood. Um, uh, at the moment um but no i thought this was really good it was a good way of transitioning time and i've seen far worse um in terms of when when segments have got to be filled uh we we, we will we will have reviewed it on the uh on the super bowl show with wcw trying to fill time maybe for a very different reason um and i thought this was good but we'll move on to the main event it's diesel against bret hart for the wwf championship inside of a steel cage Diesel starts out in the ascendancy, firing Brett across the ring into the turnbuckle. Brett blocks Diesel by trying to ram him into the ring post with one of his own. Brett makes the first escape attempt. Diesel follows him up and they battle on the top turnbuckle. On the mat, Diesel drives Brett into the cage and orders the door open. As is typical, Diesel takes ages just to walk out and Brett cuts him off. Brett makes an escape attempt but Diesel pulls him back. Brett then starts working on Diesel's leg. The crown is dead silent. Brett tries to escape on the, over the cage on one side, Diesel via the door on the other. Brett realises he's fighting a losing battle, runs over and cuts Diesel off. Brett goes up by one of the corners, Diesel throws him back into the ring and then hits a belly-to-back suplex. Brett just starts beating on Diesel's leg, Diesel whips Brett into the turnbuckle, makes it sound like a gunshot, the crowd wake up with that. Brett makes a beeline over the top of the cage, Diesel pulls him back by his hair, they go back to the turnbuckle spot, 
less noise, less heat. On the replay, Lawler implores us to listen to the sound, which was a good idea, except the fact the replay was silent. Brett goes for a sharpshooter. Diesel fights it, then pokes Brett in the eye. Brett tries to escape over the corner. Diesel punches him in the groin, and Brett crotches himself on the top rope. Both men fall down into the ring. Diesel still is towards the door. Brett tries to stop him. Diesel kicks him off. Diesel goes to leave. A hand appears through the ring canvas. It's gloved. It's the Undertaker. He grabs a hold of Diesel and pulls him under. Brett then beelines it over the cage and wins the match. Afterwards, Diesel reappears. Scarpers up over the cage. Undertaker circles in the ring. And then, as the show goes off the air, Undertaker does this weird eagle-like wing pose on top of the cage. The light goes out as the show goes off the air. Rory, what do you think of this? Uh, I really, really wanted to like this, but I couldn't quite get there. It definitely had its moments. Um, I, I thought Brett's selling when required was, again, just sensational. It, I, I, it just had me thinking that the guy was on his legitimate last legs. He's just, I mean, he, he does so many things brilliantly in the ring. I still don't think he gets enough credit for his selling. And this match needed it because, again, I don't really think as weird as it as it sounds, considering the guy is seven foot tall and three hundred pounds, I don't think anybody legitimately saw Diesel winning this match for whatever reason. And I, it's just set in stone we're going to get Brett Sean at WrestleMania. And I think even the marks in the audience weren't really with Diesel. I think that's why there were so many spots which should have been big crowd spots were just met by silence. Uh, they repeated a few things as well, like you said, which didn't help. 20 minutes was probably a bit too long for what they were going for. And whilst the ending was a fantastic visual when they showed Undertaker coming up through the, through the ring, which I thought looked fantastic, it just made your WWF champion look like third wheel. And if that's and going into WrestleMania of all places. That doesn't seem like a good decision. So it had it, had its moments, mainly thanks to Brett being Brett, but, uh, didn't get to the heights that on another day in another place it could have reached, which is a shame because I've liked all the matches these two have had against each other. Chris? Um, I actually like this match slightly more than you two. It was, on reflection, slightly cyclical. I guess most cage matches are, but it's like big move, one guy goes to escape really slowly, uh, and then someone suddenly revives blocks the attempt, and then you hit another big move. And it, I don't know, the crowd was slightly dead for this. Um, but the match itself, I kind of enjoyed. I, I, I thought it was fine. But then the finish really, really annoyed me. Like, I, I don't understand why you need to build Diesel and Taker at the expense of Brett, who's going to be the defending WWF champion at WrestleMania. I thought there's enough protection in Diesel. Like, you don't want to beat Diesel without interference, but there's enough protection in the fact that it's a cage match and Brett can win by escaping the cage and no one has to pin Diesel. If I, I... And the other thing, Diesel must have been slightly screwed because when he got pulled through the, the ring floor... He should, he should, he's got a case that both of his feet hit the floor underneath ah. the ring. <laughs> Diesel's been screwed here. He, he should have won the match. But if you really want to build Undertaker and Diesel, then have Brett win the match by escaping the cage and then have Taker come through the ring and attack Diesel and pull him down through into the ring to end the show. After the match, I, I just didn't understand 
on, we'd already had two cheap finishes in the uh, Duke the Jumps the Jersey match and with the Yokozuna match as well. And this was, it really, really ruined the match for me. And it brought an end to the show, an otherwise decent show to, it, it, it tarnished and tainted the whole thing for me. I think they were on to something with the finish that they had in mind, or at least an angle that they had in mind. But I don't think they got it quite right. I don't... It was less the fact that Undertaker pulled Diesel through the ring. The, 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 the memory, the image in my head I've got of that is that the minute it happened, Brett just escaped up the side of the cage. And it, it didn't seem like a babyface thing to do. It's, you know, I, I don't know what Brett would have done. I don't know what the baby face thing in that situation would have been. But if you're Brett who's trying to win a match cleanly, I don't know that your instinct when something was happening to Diesel would have been, oh, I'm just going to leg it. I don't know that that was the best idea. Um, I, again, I don't know how you would have played it out. I think Chris makes a good point. That might have been better served as a post-match angle. Um the match itself was, I won't say a big disappointment because I wasn't particularly hard at going in, but the, the escape, the cage thing really doesn't suit baby faces. Um, in the sense that there's no, I mean, I remember it was, it, it made, it was much more stark in the Brett and Owen match that I referenced, uh, from SummerSlam 94, when you've got Brett in this big blood feud against Owen, he's trying to win a match by running away. It didn't, didn't really make any sense that. Um, and also it kind of, it makes all of the stuff you do in the ring kind of feel redundant. Um, there's like, what's the point? Like, what, why am I attacking him for? Like, I, I know the idea is I'm trying to disable him long enough that I can escape, but I can escape via the door. It shouldn't take yeah. that long. Um, so yeah, like this match was a disappointment. No crowd heat at all. Um, and Rory, as we've said, that's that's two months in a row now that Bret Hart, your champion, has played second fiddle to the wider story of getting Diesel and Undertaker over. I don't know that it. I don't know that it's working. I don't know that the Undertaker Diesel feud is all that much better off. I feel like it, if this is a zero sum game, Bret has lost detrimentally a large amount versus what the other two have gained. He has absolutely, especially like we said earlier. They are absolutely pushing Sean to the moon and making him look like uh, the, the greatest the greatest thing since sliced bread. Whereas Brett, despite actually main eventing pay-per-views for a change, has squeaked by the last two looking, or being made to look at least, extremely weak by the end in, in both main events. So... <laughs> If you if you judge it by that criteria, there's only there's only one person who's winning at WrestleMania, and that's it's not helping Brett. And it's we'll probably get onto this a bit more in, in the future uh, future of, of, in this pod today. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's helping the match either, which is a major worry for me. No, I mean that, there is there is always the kind of belief that Brett might be bulletproof enough um, where he, he you know where he I can, hope so. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't want to bank on it, but I feel like Brett more than most could probably absorb all of this and just take it. I mean, after all, he's still the champion. He did win the match. Right. It's more of a presentation thing than anything else. It's not that Brett won this match thanks to Diesel, you know, being screwed by Undertaker. It was just more that the closing show angle was Diesel and Undertaker. Brett just disappeared. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know how else you could have done it. That's what I mean. I just feel like there was, 
there was a way out that involved the idea you had that could have made Brett more of a focal point. Um, I guess we should discuss this now, again, that we're not going to discuss it um, in, in, in the remainder of the show. Chris, what do you, what do you think of The Undertaker and, and Diesel build? Um, I, as much as I say, I think you know Brett's been hampered more than these guys have been helped. I think from their point of view, this build was quite good. The, the close show angle with Diesel kind of reappearing through the ring, escaping up the aisleway, and Undertaker kind of posing like, as I say, like an eagle, really, on the um, on the top turnbuckle. I thought it went really well. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, a benefit to, to those two. That they're getting a lot of... Uh, Pro, they're, they're, their angle is being prioritised over the champion and over the championship in a lot of instances, as you say, over the last two months. And that's a, a, a credit to them, I, su- I suppose. I'm not sure how well it's paying off. I don't know that uh, this is a particularly over a f- rivalry between the two men, despite the sort of heavy promotion that's gone into it. But it certainly... Uh, I mean, they're trying... And that's positive. I, I, if you take it away from ruining the match and all the issues with the finish, Taker coming up through the ring was a great visual, and him in the ring as Diesel runs away to close the show was also like a, a really good visual as well. So it's certainly helping build the match from my perspective, but I'm not sure how widespread that positivity is. No, um, yeah, we'll, we'll hear more about it in the in the TV report in a minute. I, I think some of the strategy on the Raw, you know, the, the following this was, was quite effective too. Kind of Diesel wrestles a match with Bob Holly, and he's he's looking at the canvas waiting for when Undertaker's going to going to appear. And there's another really good angle where um, during an Undertaker match, I think it's with Tatanka, Diesel comes out with an axe, and you're thinking, what the hell is he doing with this? And he takes the cameraman hostage, and then just goes backstage and just starts, you know, kicking the crap out of a casket. I think the angle's quite creative, and I'm I'm quite intrigued. I'm I, I'm more intrigued by an Undertaker match than I have been in a long time. I'm more intrigued by a Diesel match than I have been in a long time, uh, which is testimony to them both. Um, Rory, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of ten. Oh, I actually enjoyed it more watching it than I have now just actually talking about it again. <laughs> I sounded really really down on this show and. Uh, I didn't want to be, like I said, during the main event. The things I wanted to like, apart from the Owen Brett, uh, Owen Sean match, which was sensational, things I, I went in hoping to like, I didn't really. The things I went in knowing I wouldn't like, I also didn't really. But I've got to try and be, uh, I've got to try and take into account the fact that this is a placeholder show. It doesn't really pretend to be a big pay-per-view. And we were treated to one truly fantastic match, definite early match of the year candidate, which everybody must seek out if you get the chance. So mainly with that taken into consideration, I've if and about this, but I'm going to go for a five and a half. And I might be being a little bit generous there, but let's go with that for now. Chris. Yeah, I'm exactly the same as Rory. I actually thought I quite enjoyed this show and talking about it. I just realised how many, how little, int- how, how little I enjoyed it really. Apart from uh, Sean and Owen, everything else was completely missable. And like I think because of how much I enjoyed that match when watching the show, I kind of forgot how little I enjoyed the opening hour. So it's it's a really difficult one to give a score rating out of 10 for because obviously that match in itself was wonderful. But the show overall, I think a five is probably about right. So, yeah, I'll give it a five. But it, the high point in the Sean Owen match was wonderful. But everything else, there's really nothing to see. 
And considering it's the pay-per-view before WrestleMania, I know it is a, so a, a B-level pay-per-view, I suppose. But I I would have liked to... I know the closing angle was uh, Diesel and Taker, and we've spoken about that, but I would have liked more to have been said about how, look, we now have our main event, and it's Brett versus Sean, but Brett just went over the cage, went out of there. So it's a really mixed bag for me, but the highs were great, and the lows were... They weren't terrible, um, but missable and of no real interest, so about five. No, I know what you mean. I mean there's, we've seen swathes of you know, bad hours from WWF and WCW on pay-per-view in the last year or two. I don't think this first hour was anywhere near as bad as some of the stuff we've seen. I, I would certainly call it forgettable, um, but as much as we were critical of some of the Razor and 123 Kids stuff, that was still one of the better openers we've seen from either company. Um the company trying to be bad of DDP. Well, maybe a bit better. WCW has some very good. WCW has some very good openers in the last year or so. But in terms of WWF opening matches, that was that was certainly not nowhere near the worst. And I don't think even Bulldog and Yokozuna as bad as it was. I've seen far worse stretches essentially. But yeah, I, I'll give this a five and a half. In a sense that there's nothing on this show that is a five and a half. I thought Piper and Cornette was very, very good. Sean and Owen was very, very good. And the rest of the show wasn't particularly good. But the closing angle with Undertaker and Diesel was good as well. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I would turn the show on at the beginning of Sean and Owen and I would probably turn it off at the end of Piper and Cornette. That would be where I'd finish a five and a half out of ten. The two greatest athletes in the history of the World Wrestling Federation going at it at WrestleMania. Now the question is, Shawn Michaels, in your mind, do you believe that the hitman Bret Hart is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be? No way! First of all... I would like to say that there is not a person in this building that has more respect for this man right here than Shawn Michaels. What? I most definitely believe that the hitman is the best there was. And I suppose that only time will tell because... I can't foresee the future, but I believe he may possibly be the best that there ever will be. But the one thing I do have to question, and again, with all due respect to you, Brett, I can't believe in my own heart that right now, at this time, in 1996, that you are the best there is because I believe that that spot is owned by the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Everyone has to have confidence. Here we go. Confidence, unquestionably, a very important part, Bret Hart, of your reign as the WWF champion. And indeed, how do you size up your challenge? Well, with all due respect... Shawn Michaels, I think you're one of the greatest wrestlers I've ever had the privilege of watching. 
And I know that uh, in the last five months, being the World Wrestling Federation champion, without a doubt, have been the hardest five months of my career. And I've taken a lot of punishment from some big guys. And it's awful tough wrestling guys that are 6'9 and 7 feet tall. But no matter what, I really, really look forward to an opportunity to step in the ring and show exactly why it is that I am the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Oh, listen to these people! You know, there's a lot of people that misunderstand things. It's not my job to beat you. Being the World Wrestling Federation Champion, it's your job to beat me. Now, in this match, Shawn Michaels, I just want you to understand one thing, because, uh, like I say, I got nothing but respect for you. I think you're great. But once this bell rings, once the once they sound that bell, I'm going to hit you with everything but the kitchen sink. And you're in for the biggest dogfights you've ever seen in your whole life. I think uh, everyone would concur with that and unquestionably with that in mind. Conditioning, both mentally as well as physically, will play a huge part in this match. Well, certainly conditioning will. And I know that he has had nothing but tough opponents one after another. But you know something? I haven't done so bad myself lately. I've been beat up by nine thugs. I've been beat up by seven foot people. And you know something? I'm still standing here looking as good as I ever have. We return to Raw on February the 19th with Sonny once again on the beach. This is going to take a while to get old. We see a mention for the Ultimate Warrior and also a teaser for Larry Fling almost live. We open with Razor Ramon against Goldust for the Intercontinental title. Marlena blows smoke in Razor's face for the match, which angers him. At one stage, Razor Ramon does the fallaway slam to Goldust, sending him over the top rope to the outside. The match ends by countout as Goldust and Marlena scarper up the R-way. Razor said, Goldust, I don't want your belt. I want your ass. He then comments about the return of the Great One. I actually thought he was referencing Warrior here, but it turns out he was referencing, and I quote, Roddy Rowdy Piper. Razor tells Piper that he doesn't want his kids watching this kind of stuff on TV. Presumably he wants them watching Nitro instead. Uh, he wants Piper to make a match with him and Goldust. Goldust, let's have a date. Vader comes out and lays waste to Barry Horowitz and Aldo Montoya. We get a video package showing the Ultimate Warrior. Next up is the Ringmaster against Marty Giannetti. Vince describes Ringmaster as being stone cold twice during the match, which plays into the character change they're reportedly considering for him this month. Ringmaster submits Giannetti with the Million Dollar Dream submission. We get a promo from Mankind. Why did God create all of you normal and forget so many parts of me? He's playing with a rat during this promo. Diesel comes out during the main event between Tatanka and The Undertaker with an axe. He takes a cameraman hostage. Backstage, he takes the axe to the casket. It takes him a while, but Diesel does a good job on the casket, obliterating it. Undertaker is selling at the stage in which the match, which is quite some timing. He then gets up and does an awful chokeslam, followed by a tombstone for the win. The video only comes with video wall after the match, so Taker only takes off afterwards. 
We join Larry Fling on Larry Fling Live with Billionaire Ted. The caption reads, Billionaire Ted owns just about everything. We then take calls from Randy from Sarasota and Terry from Florida, who tells Ted he needs to miss work next Monday. He's, he got hit by a high-heeled shoe. Pushed on the topical issues, Ted has lost the words. Another graphic comes up that says, Billionaire Ted, Corporate Predator. Raw goes off the air with Bearer telling Diesel he will pay for what he did to the casket. Raw on February the 26th opens with Isaac the Yankum DDS against Jake the Snake Roberts, or as Vincent Mann called it, the DDS versus the DDT. Yankum attempts a DDT, but Roberts drops it. Robert hits his own for a big pop and wins the match. Diesel wrestles Bob Holly, but he's distracted waiting for Undertaker to pop out of the ring, which is a nice touch. We cut back from the break just in time to see Diesel pin Holly with a jackknife. He's clearly spooked by the threat of the Undertaker, although he does his finger-wobbling taunt at the end. As Diesel walks up the ramp, Undertaker's gong hits and the light goes out. When they come back on, Undertaker's in the ring. Diesel actually fancies a fight, so he starts moving back towards the ring, but the lights go out again, and when they come back on, Undertaker is gone. They go out again, they come back on again, and now he's on the video wall. Undertaker says he's the master of mind games. Masked Shinobi, who's actually Al Snow, gets beaten up by Ahmed Johnson. Goldust calls in and does a poem for President Rosie Piper. We get another promo from Mankind. The rat is called George. Mankind is in agony. He's able to relieve that pain, which is good for him, but not so enjoyable for us. Leave the light on. I'm coming home. Next up is an in-ring segment with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Sean applauds Brett to the ring. Sean says there isn't a person in the building that has more respect for Brett than Sean Michaels. The hitman is certainly the best there was, and maybe he will be the best there ever will be, but he does have to question whether he is the best there is. Brett says it's awful tough wrestling guys that are six foot nine and seven feet tall. Brett seems to be getting a mixed crowd reaction here. Brett says it isn't his job to beat Sean, it's Sean's job to beat him. Sean says he's been through a lot recently, but they could sit there and blow smoke all evening. On his conditioning, Sean just shows off his chest. Brett says he's like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps on going and going and going and going. Out comes Roddy Piper. Piper says his job as president is to represent the fans. Piper says he doesn't like it when people boo Brett Hart. He did not see that coming. One time I heard this guy beat Roddy Piper. I don't know. I wasn't there. Piper says he wants a winner in this match and if we're talking about conditioning Sean's abs don't mean nothing anyone can have a lucky night and catch a fall so it's not going to be a one fall match the man that can get the most falls on the other man will win Sean wants to know how long the match will be Piper screams one hour Piper says you might as well shake each other's hands because you're going to hate each other after this we finish with Yokozuna in a handicap match against the British Bulldog and Owen Hart. Yokozuna fights them off, but Vader comes out, clotheslines Yokozuna and causes the disqualification. Outruns Ahmed Johnson, who levels Owen Hart, and Jake Roberts with the snake. Larry Fling Live is back, this time with the Huckster and the Nacho Man. This is shown on BNN, the Billionaire News Network. Fling says these two take him back to his childhood. Nacho Man says he's only as old as he feels, and he feels pretty old. Billionaire Ted joins us by a satellite hookup. Huckster goes to hit Fling with a chair after he calls him old, but Larry scares him off with a lady's shoe. Huckster gets angry at a few home truths from Nacho Man, cleans house with some soft chair shots to end the show. Once again, I guess you and I could sit here and blow smoke at each other because we do have a lot of respect for each other. 
But the fact of the matter is, you want to know about conditioning? Well, let me ask you something. Take a look at that. Does it look like I'm in the best condition in my life, or is it just my imagination? There's no question. You're going to have to give it your all, as you have so many, many times before, Bret Hart. What kind of shape are you going to be in? We ever see that little pink rabbit on those Energizer commercials? The Energizer Bunny. I just keep going and going and going. Hey, wait a minute. Going. Wait a minute, wait ladies and gentlemen, the president of the World Wrestling Federation. What's he doing ladies here? Ladies and gentlemen, Rowdy, Roddy Piper. <laughs> Something's fitting to happen. Whenever this guy shows up, something happens. And it's not always good either. May I please? Thanks. Go have yourself a seat. <laughs> He's got a seat, all right. You it's know, first of all, I was listening, and my job as the president of the WWF is to represent you people and make sure you get a fair shake on every fight that's coming up in WrestleMania 12 on the 31st in Anaheim. And the first thing that I do not like is when they announce Bret Hart's name, I hear people boo. Yeah, you don't fool a guy like this. Hang on. I didn't come here to say what's popular. I come here to tell the truth. You don't fool a guy that's been three times world champion. Why, one time I even heard this guy beat Roddy Piper. I don't know. I wasn't there. All right. You don't fool a guy like this. This kid his whole life has been dying to win the World Wrestling Federation title, has done everything in his power, has been on the mat, has grappled ever since he's been this high for this one chance. But I'll tell you something. There's something that everybody's missing because March 31st, Anaheim is the night to fight. If I'm the WWF president, there's going to be a winner here. There ain't going to be no kind of tight pulling, no details, nothing like that. Well, You're talking go. about conditioning. First of all, you don't judge a book by its cover. So, yes, you got wonderful abs. That don't mean nothing. <laughs> That's right. You, you've been beat up a couple of times. You know, it's time anybody can have a lucky night and catch a fall. So this is the way it's going to be in your match for the WWF title. It's not a one-fall match. It's the man that can get the most falls on the other man will become the WWF champion. Do you have a problem with that? I don't have a problem with that. Do you have a problem with that? I don't have a problem. How long of a match are we talking about? You hear this, McMahon? Yes, I've just joined you again here on headset and... One hour! Whoa! Oh my goodness! No timeouts! No nothing! Because I gotta tell you something. These two guys right here can perform, and there's somebody that's going to make them. And that's me, March 31st, Anaheim, the one who gets the most falls, wins this belt. Until then, boys, you might as well shake hands now, because you're going to hate each other after that. 
And we will start our discussion for the month uh, looking at Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. We'll, we'll preview the match itself in a minute. A, a one-hour uh, most full wins uh, match at WrestleMania. Um, Chris, we'll start with the promo on Raw. What did you think? I quite enjoyed it, but I don't think it was the type of promo that is suitable for showcasing the biggest match on the biggest show of the year. Um, it was heavily focused on mutual respect, and the whole promo felt very colloquial. I don't know if that's the right word, but it was very relaxed, the whole situation. A lot of handshakes, a lot of compliments. And there's going to... that. To me, when the match is an hour, there's no real heat to it. And I know they're focusing on, like, the conditioning aspect. Um, and that's and this, how both men can handle the stipulation. And it's about in-ring work rate and things like that. But I would like more almost storyline build on it. It seems weird to me that months or weeks even after Sean declared he was coming well back for the Royal Rumble against Doctor's orders, they're building a match around in-ring conditioning, and it doesn't really fit. Um, the promo itself was fine. I just... I, actually, it was better than fine. I enjoyed it, I have to say. It just didn't fit what it was building for me. Roy? Yes, it probably was just a little bit too pally pally I, I i see where they were going with it because these are the two now biggest baby faces in the company well give or take undertaker two biggest baby faces in the company uh having a 60 minute match against each other i think you're great no i think you're great i think you're really great okay i, I get where they're going with it but they pushed that button a bit too hard i wouldn't have had a problem if they had a piece each said something like that and then somebody maybe sean would have just up the ante a tiny little bit and just got the crowd to go, ooh, and maybe even get Vince to recoil a little bit. I I don't mind the mutual respect angle necessarily, but the match still needs a bit more to it than that, in my opinion. Although having said that, right at the very, very end, when they did the big handshake theme, just at the end there was a bit where they just held onto the handshake for just a tiny bit too long. I thought, ah, oh, okay, maybe they might just go somewhere with this. But then they just smiled and made nice again afterwards. So I hope that was just the first of a good few promos or vignettes we're going to get to build this match. Uh, off to a, a decent start, but they can't mind this particular angle over and over again. People will get bored of it very quickly, and you shouldn't be getting bored of a match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, for goodness sake. No, we, we, we've got to give them something in saying that there will be, I think, four more rules between now yeah, and WrestleMania, sure. so... <clears throat> there are plenty of places you can take this and you can certainly build up animosity over a number of weeks as we saw with um, with Brett and with Diesel heading into Survivor Series. They did quite a good job there of building up what were essentially two baby faces into quite, some quite contrasting and polarising kind of camps. Um, it was a bit odd, though. The, the emphasis on conditioning... You understand why they did it? Like... If you're going to promote an Iron Man type match, that was what Vincent Mann called it at the end of um, 
at the end of Raw, you know, this kind of one hour length match, you're going to promote that kind of thing. Yes, it makes sense to talk about who's the best conditioning, but it doesn't make sense to talk about it much before you announce the match. Like, I don't know why there was such an emphasis on conditioning. It's not like that's a particularly prominent part of, you know, we, we, when we talk about contenders for the title, we don't talk about Mabel being an awful contender because he's got no conditioning. We don't talk about, you know, Yokozuna being an awful contender because he's got no conditioning. It's just not something that features. And yet now, because we're going to do a, a 60 minute match, we want to talk about conditioning. Fine, but don't do it beforehand. That seemed a bit weird. Um, but it made sense. It was a it was a good opening promo. I completely agree with the sentiment that if this is the extent of the animosity, then it's a big mistake. I think we've just got to give them the benefit of the doubt and saying four more weeks is plenty of time to build more between these two. And at the moment, they don't really have a reason to dislike each other. So that's something that they do need to build. Um, I guess, Rory, the bigger question is a hour-long match, I think, is a really odd move. Yes, it, it, I know they've had a title match against each other, Survivor Series 92, but you know, the world was very different then. So you're starting this, inverted commas, feud with a 60-minute iron match? I mean, that sort of thing is normally the ultimate blow-off if you're going to go there. And beginning with that, from a storyline perspective, I'm struggling to square that particular circle. Not that I have any problem with watching two of the three best workers in the company wrestle for an hour and if they're allowed to do that then we could be we could be witness to something very very special and i'm sure we all hope that that's what we're going to get but starting with an iron man match they're working backwards on that one in my opinion it's it's odd chris i find it very intriguing it's something i want to see but i don't know that i expect it to with hindsight be the best idea I, I I don't really have that high expectations. I think that obviously they're put on a great match, but there's certainly got to be some limitations to what they do. If it's an hour, you can't do all your big spots in the first half an hour and it, it's spreading them out throughout the match. And I do wonder how I'm sure, like, as Rory said, some of the best workers in the company, some of the best workers in the world, um, I'm sure they will put together a great match, but I am worried how you maintain interest for a full hour just in a pure wrestling match. It makes me think there'll be some kind of angle in the middle. The fact yeah. that it's no DQ, maybe... I know it's well, it's the main event of WrestleMania, but no DQ, you'd think there might be interference, but I don't know who would get involved on whose side. It, there's no one really in that picture who fits that criteria, but it, it's intriguing to me. I don't have the highest expectations but i am looking forward to seeing it yeah it i don't know where to begin with this one really i mean yeah yes it is a it is an odd opening match to what presumably we want quite a few um in the sense that what, what do you follow that up with what's the next step uh we also look at bret hart in the last 18 months, two years, who has a particularly poor track record when it comes to stipulation matches. I, I, I look to him against um, him against Bob Backlund from WrestleMania. I look to him against Diesel from this month 
e.g. putting him in with guys who, if they just had a normal match, would probably be really good. Brett and Diesel is normally pretty good. They have a cage match and all of a sudden it's not. Brett and Backlund have admittedly a submission match at Survivor Series 1994 that's very, very good. They go to WrestleMania, have a, have an I quit match and it's, it's an absolute shit show. Um, and for a guy like Brett who's just naturally so good, it seems like an odd move. That being said, these are two guys that will, if any two guys in the company can do it, it's these two. Um, my main two concerns coming out of this are, one, does the WWF crowd know how to watch a one hour match? You know, if this was WCW, admittedly we're about, you know, my, my, my knowledge of AC's WCW isn't great, but you know, you'll hear Ric Flair regale you with tales of, you know, 60 minute matches and all that kind of thing. If it was WCW, I think it would make more sense because they're perhaps a bit more used to it. Um, but a WWF crowd, I don't know that they're going to be able to handle an hour-long match, you know. And, Roy, my bigger question is, is in a multi-fall match, Brett, as I said before, doesn't have an impact finisher. He sure as shit isn't going to be tapping out Shawn Michaels, making him submit. I don't think that's going to happen. What does he do? Like, you know, can can a Brett win three falls by roll up? Does that work? Oh, they can't really go there. But like you say, Brett doesn't have a Brett doesn't have a bam finisher. It's something like I don't know, uh, even a big a big cradle suplex or something something he could legitimately do to Sean. He doesn't even have that unless they want to quickly give it to him in the next few weeks and give him the freedom to do it. If Brett is just going to try and catch quick falls with, as you say, roll ups or inside cradles, that's that isn't going to sell him. That's going to make him look, almost make him look a little bit weak and a bit of a chancer. And this is Bret Hart, WWF champion we're talking about here. So they're going to have to find ways. Are they going to go, are they going to try and make it a plunder fest? Are we going to have you know, foot on the ropes pins with somebody having to play the subtle heel role? Are we going to have chair shots, which doesn't really fit either guy? There's a lot of questions here that, I hope they've already answered, but the more I think about it, the more I have my doubts. Chris? Yeah, it's, it's, as I said, they're two of the best workers anywhere in the world. I'm sure they'll put enough time and thought into answering all these questions. And for the most part, because of the level that this match is, the main event of the biggest show of the year, they must get them right and I'm, I'm, I have confidence that they will but there's a lot of things here that if you get a couple of them slightly off you could end up with not a train wreck because I'm not sure you could have a train wreck of a match between these two but something that means that this match was entirely the wrong decision to have it go for 60 minutes you it could go very wrong um, but I I do have the confidence that will they will be able to work something out and build the level of heat and interest between now and WrestleMania that means the crowd are looking forward to watching this 60 minutes. And uh, because I already am, I, it's intriguing and I think... I, I'm sure they will get it right, but they there's always that chance they don't. No, and if they don't, there's no real way out. Like, you know, not, not that you, not that you often call audibles in a match, but 
you know, in, in a match you can pace things out and you can make some decisions and say something's not working, you can change things up, maybe shave a couple of minutes off or whatever. Um, if they get 35 minutes into this match and everyone's asleep, what do you do? Um, and it, it, it seems risky on a level that it's going to work. Like if it was just Brett and Sean in a match, I'd, I'd bank on it working. I don't know that I would now. I feel like you've just added an unnecessary amount of risk to what is otherwise a home run. Um, and I guess we will see is, is the case in point. They have got four more weeks. And I think the ultimate point is, if anyone can in this company, it is these two. We must say that. You know, this isn't Diesel and you know Sid in a 60-minute match, God forbid. Oh, there are plenty of combinations of 60-minute match that I absolutely wouldn't want to watch. This I'm intrigued by, but it, there's a lot of inherent risk and there's a lot of strange decision making anyway they didn't need to take as well they've uh, Uh, unless it tells you that they are a bit worried about filling out the wrestlemania card um and immediately you know i mean with with brett and and sean and undertaker and diesel's your top two matches yokozuna and and vader is a bit of a freak show match they're not that far away it's like you know there are there are you, you if you were worried about every work rate you could put on you know there are guys in in this lower order that can work you could put on owen hart against hakushi or something like that in, in the opening hour if you're thinking well you know we, we might need a bit of might be entertainment value on this i don't know um but there are matches you can do it just seems a bit odd but ultimately we will be back next month and we will find out The WWF's intentions with the Billionaire Ted segments became somewhat clearer this month as they launched a press campaign attempting to harm WCW ahead of the merger between Time Warner and Turner Broadcasting Systems. On Raw on February 5th, Vince McMahon closed the show with an advert they had attempted to place in both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. The advert had in big lettering, Attention stockholders, Time Warner beware, along with the line, has Ted Turner lost $40 million of your money in his personal vendetta against the World Wrestling Federation? Where are these losses reported in TBS financial statements? The amended advert that ran in the Times simply said, does Ted Turner have a personal vendetta against the World Wrestling Federation? Vince McMahon's strategy, which it would seem is far from over, is to try and damage the public image of WCW sufficiently that the newly merged organisation would drop it. It's believed that he is citing Time Warner selling their interest in Six Flags as it wasn't profitable and dropping some of their rap artists who, while profitable, were generating negative publicity. On the 8th of February, McMahon sent a letter to Turner bemoaning what he called multiple times as the promotion of self-mutilation, e.g. blading, on its programming. The letter ended with McMahon saying, Notwithstanding numerous unprecedented predatory practices against the World Wrestling Federation, you continue to promote self-mutilation. I hope your stockholders hold you accountable for this unethically, guttural, potentially unhealthy practice. McMahon was far from done, however. It is reported the WWF actually filed a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission to quote the Wrestling Observer, claiming TBS has been engaged in a systematic plan to destroy the WWF so it can achieve a monopoly over the wrestling industry. McMahon has even said more than once that he considers the WWF to be fighting for its life at the moment. He also unsurprisingly does not consider this situation similar to what happened a decade ago when the rise of the WWF ran a lot of the territories into the ground. 
He has also complained this month about contract tampering, in particular the bushwhackers Jean-Pierre Lafitte and most noteworthy Diesel. On the Diesel front, the story is essentially true, although the WCW representative is actually Hulk Hogan. One thing at least that McMahon does have the high ground on is what happened on Nitro on February the 5th, where the power went out for a number of minutes during the main event. After a backup generator restored some of the lighting and the TV, Eric Bischoff said, I wonder how that happened. McMahon, in a letter sent via Jeremy McDevitt, was quite right in taking umbrage with that line. As for what aired on WWF Raw this month, while the Billionaire Ted segments did continue, they weren't really noteworthy beyond the airing of the newspaper adverts we mentioned earlier. They moved away from the phony press conferences to Larry Fling Live on the BNN Network. That's short for Billionaire News Network. Let's talk Billionaire Ted. Um, I'm not sure that there is a ton of new stuff to discuss in that a lot of it is even kind of over my head in terms of the stuff Vince McMahon is planning. But we have two new guests on and we do have a month's worth of segments to kind of trawl through, I suppose. Um, Chris, what, what, what are your views on, on kind of the segments as a whole and, you know, kind of where they're taking it this month? Um, well, yeah, I, I heard, obviously, you guys discuss this last month when they first started airing. Um, I had this, this was my first time I'd seen any of the segments. I quite enjoy them, I think, for what they are, like, they're cheap, they're silly, they're meant to be, they're, they're, they're pretty amusing, they're, they're, they're fine, um, the fact there's such, like, a grand plan and message behind them, and it's so complicated, is, is slightly weird, and the advert in the, uh, was it the ta- New York Times or was it the, 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 the New York Times? Like I think it ended up being in the New York Times a version of it, the one that didn't appear on Raw. Um, but Vincent Mann did mention uh, we did ask for this to run the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. So they're so at, at their very core, the message about how WCW's lost so much money and looking to promote this negative public image that could jeopardise WCW's immediate future in, is it the Time Warner merger? Um, it's very grand It's and it's very risky, but as a segment on TV, like a short segment, they're short, they're sweet, they keep things simple, they're pretty funny. Like, I don't know how I feel about them having such a huge sort of message to them underlying it it's it's slightly strange to me but the segments themselves i enjoy rory yeah the wwf and comedy don't usually make very easy bedfellows but these skits taken in their own right there there are some funny 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 things in there i mean there was one particular moment where we had uh terry from uh venice i think it was uh, from <laughs> venice beach california uh phoning up the larry fling show where he was on the run from a, a woman brandishing a shoe, which I thought was was fantastic and very, very, very funny indeed. And taken on their own right, they're, they're really good skits. The problem is what Vince is actually really trying to say with them, which is him using up valuable minutes of his own television show. He's only got an hour on Raw, and he's taken up about three or four minutes at the end, at the end of each show, really, when he really should be bringing to an end a uh, big cliffhanger to take into the next week or the next pay-per-view or whatever, and he's using those to have a very, very public go at his, uh, his major business rival, which I think, <sighs> it's like I touched on a WCW show last month, it's Vince hitting back, and hitting back 
fairly hard. I mean, these are quite close to the knuckle, but it's like uh, the guys on the WWF pod said last month. If you're talking about your competition that much and that explicitly, people who might not really get everything these skits are referring to might think, oh, is this those WCW guys? Oh, are they really that bad? I might flick over and see if uh, if what WWF say about them is uh, is true or not. And then you're potentially losing viewers. It's it's a fun game for those people who who know what's going on, but that's a pretty low percentage of the raw viewing audience. And we've said it before about uh, Vince and WWF. One of their main problems in uh, in the past is that they don't know where to stop. And is this is this leading to a match at WrestleMania? That's what they were hinting at with some of these skits. Is it, is that where they're going with this? It's been talked about. Um, wow. <laughs> Bloody hell. Maybe that's why they need Brett and Sean to go an hour. They've got, they've got stuff like this <laughs> planned for the, uh, for, for the middle. But yeah, it's, it, it, it is strange. I mean, it, it, knowing now what we know, it makes a bit more sense. Okay, there are grander plans for these stuff beyond, you know, what we're seeing. And Vincent Mann is almost kind of just using this as a vehicle rather than, you know, but it, it's weird. I, I speak earlier about jokes that are just funny for Vincent Mann. This is kind of segments that are just interesting for Vincent Mann. You know, anytime he says, you know, we, we do the show for the fans. This certainly isn't that. Um, and yeah, I'd agree. You know, they are largely funny. I think the opening one of the month was a bit like, uh, I dare, I wouldn't call any of these segments subtle, but a lot of them are a bit more, will hide a message inside something that kind of feels like entertainment. The bit on the 5th with the second half of the press conference did seem a bit crass and a bit kind of open and full on in terms of what they were trying to accuse Ted Turner of. I must that was admit. too personal, that one. Yeah, too I personal. must admit the, 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 the guy playing Billionaire Ted I think is largely really funny. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's not great when they're implying he's a bit of a, I don't know what the word is, you know, mentally handicapped almost when he kind of gets lost for words and starts you know, drooling almost. Um, but he's really good. But yeah, the segments are a bit, uh, you know, we're two months in. If each segment is three and a half minutes long, you know, over the course of eight shows, yeah, you know, that's twenty five minutes of the first two months. You could have been building a new character or two or whatever. You could have used that thing for anything and you used it to take some underhanded shots at WCW that I think while well, I gave them credit for them last month, it's kind of like you know, I don't know that I'd still be running these. Um I don't know. Um but yeah, it all seems a bit counterproductive it all seems a bit what's the goal of this but you know ultimately is it is vincent man's prerogative and you know i guess we will see long story short we'll, we'll see where this uh this story development takes us next month uh we will finish with a short discussion on razor ramon and to a lesser extent diesel diesel as we understand it is talking with wcw specifically hulk hogan um about joined WCW, Hogan wants to bring him in to, surprise, surprise, face him in a heel program. Uh, Razor Ramon, as we understand it, has handed in his 90-day notice period um, because he has agreed to terms with WCW. And I guess, Rory, the question from from this show's point of view on Volume 1, we will discuss from the other side of the coin, is uh, Razor and Diesel, I mean, they won't be known as that on on that side of the coin because, you know, with with characters and all of that, um, I would call them two good gets if, if, if from a WCW's point of view. 
definitely. These are these are big, big, big names. If it looks like Razor is definitely going to go, and it looks like Diesel might well be joining him, these are big losses name-wise for WWF. Well, I've got to say, I do think that Razor in particular, barring a couple of um, uh, a couple of exceptions and notable exceptions, SummerSlam '95 being one of them, he as a character has been spinning his wheels now for a good year, year and a half. Uh, he'll, he'll always come on, he'll always get a, a decent pop, he'll always put on uh, a good match, especially if he's in there with, with the right opponents. But he hasn't really done a whole lot. He's been there, he's been thereabouts. He hasn't been given the main event push, which I thought 18 months ago looked absolute certain. So I still think it, it will freshen him up a bit, but he's still a massive loss that he's going to go because... He gets he gets good crowd reactions most of the time, and the, he's a name uh, as close as you're going to get probably to a household name for somebody in his position on the card. So WWF are going to miss him, and if uh, Diesel goes as well, then that is a huge loss, especially now as it looks as though they're positioning him for a big, or were at least positioning him for a big heel run. I mean, if he hasn't officially turned heel now, he's he's, he's damn close after smashing up Undertaker's casket. So it looks like that could have been a fairly long program that's going to come to an end. So from a WWF perspective, these are two big, big, big holes that they will struggle to fill. And these are major boons for WCW if they go ahead. Chris? Yeah, it's an absolutely huge loss for the WWF. Um, As Rory said, that Razor has definitely got this sort of untapped main event level push that was never been exploited and he can go straight into WCW I know the reports of Diesel Hogan wants Diesel to go in and work with him but you could also work with Razor and he said he's someone who gets good reactions he's he's never been in the main event for the WWF but I'd call him one of their best one of their biggest stars he gets the biggest one of some of the biggest reactions and as Rory said, because he, considering he hasn't really been doing all that much of note, or it it speaks volumes about how good he is if he still gets a reaction when he's around, considering how easy it is to have a dead crowd at these shows. We saw it during the Diesel Brett in your house. It, it's, and uh, so I think Razor's a, a massive loss, not uh, probably potentially more than Diesel for me, because had that long diesel title run. I know we haven't fully gone down the hill diesel role yet, but I, I think there's, you've, you've lost so much more potential with what you could have done with Razor rather than I think diesel. We had that long title run. He's been there. I think he's a big, they're obviously massive losses, but they're also huge acquisitions for WCW. And we see in the Billionaire Ted segments, like, you have Randy and Terry phoning in and about all these old guys who can't wrestle anymore and things like this. Well, two of your most recognisable stars that most certainly don't fall into that category, are they both 36? They're jumping ship now. So these segments are going to have to... I think rethink themselves a little bit if if they are both off. Well, I'm more the point that there's a in one of the boardroom segments at the beginning of last month. There's the bit where B 
been in our TED basis, says, well, can't we just buy them? Um, but yes, <laughs> yes, it turns out, and I guess from, from, from a WMF <laughs> perspective, be, 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 well, be careful what you Self wish for. Um, Chris, no, I'd agree. I, I think Razor is a bigger loss more just because we don't know with Razor. And, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of reasons to say that Diesel wasn't helped by what they were doing with him, but Diesel is a kind of a little bit like Lex Luger in that they may have got it wrong with him, but in the eyes of a lot of fans, he might be damaged goods. I think there's a lot of people that would like to see Razor higher up the card. Um, and as much as I think money is very much a factor here from, from both of their point of views, you know, WWF pay in a more of a, we'll pay you a lower base salary, but we'll pay you higher from uh, house shows, merchandise sales, and all the others. So, you know, in theory, at least, you'll make more money. Um, and I think there's no doubt that WWF, in terms of house shows, you know, the house shows have been mixed recently, but they're certainly running more than WCW are, and I think their merchandising arm is a lot better. Um, but if WCW are going to offer them a higher base salary for fewer dates, and I think that's vastly important as well, I think that's a key factor. And I think from Razor Ramon's point of view, you might look at what's happened to Lex Luger, um, who was a mid-card babyface act in WC, uh, WWF when he left, joined WCW, and okay, you know, he's tag champion now, and he's kind of trotting around the upper mid-card, kind of while they sort out what they're doing at the top end of their roster. Um, but Luger arrived in WCW and immediately became a bigger deal, almost in part just by being there. And I feel like if Razor Ramon goes to WCW, he might just be a bigger deal just by being there. I think that he would be a very natural heel for them. Um, you know, Hogan, as much as other things, want guys of size. Razor's got that, just like Diesel's got that. Um, and yeah, from a from a WWF perspective, it's it's two big losses. It's two, you know, it's not like this isn't like sport. They can't, you know, ask for well, I suppose they could, I suppose they could try and ask for some talent coming the other way, but they can't use any income they've earned from selling Razor and Diesel and bringing guys from other places. It's not a zero-sum game in that sense. We don't lose two guys, but gain the ability to sign two guys uh, of equal standing. You lose two big names, and everyone kind of shuffles up, which isn't necessarily the worst thing, but you've got to have those guys in place to shuffle up, and I don't know that they do. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think the, the most worrying thing of all is the, the rumours that Bret Hart might be discussing with WCW as well. Um, there'd be a lot of trouble if that happened, but we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out as, as we understand it. Razor Ramon will risk WrestleMania, which is another big loss. And again, maybe, maybe another contributory factor as to why they've gone to that hour long Bret Shaw match is just that they don't have a lot else on the card. A little bit strange in the sense that it's not really stopped them before, but you know, if there is the fact of we ain't got a lot on this undercard, let's see if we can have Bret and Shaw film more time. We will see. But anyway, we'll see how all this plays out. That will end this month's show. I'd first like to thank Rory McNamara. Pleasure as always. Uh, Rory, you are on Twitter. Yep, uh, Rors DM, R-O-R-S-D-M. Excellent. And Chris White for, for joining us on about three or four days' notice. Thank you very much, Chris. Not, no problem at all, Bob. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Uh, you uh, can be found on Twitter and your podcast. Yes, uh, I'm on Twitter at chriswhite 14 also do a wrestling podcast, uh, not 20 years ago, not set 20 years ago. It's called Podflex City. So if you want to check out podcasts about more modern day wrestling, you can find that on iTunes. You can find that 
on SoundCloud and also on Twitter at PodplexCity. Excellent. And uh, that leads me to just to finish up the wrap-up. Yeah, so Volume 1 is WCW, looking at Super Bowl. Volume 3 is ECW, looking at Cyber Slam. We're also going to be discussing all the Brian Pillman stuff across both of those shows. That's uh, that's, uh, that's got to be seen to be believed, some of that stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Wrestling20RS. We're on Facebook. Everything's on the website, uh, website Wrestling20RS.com. If you're on iTunes, do leave us a rating and a review. And that will do that. I have been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 2 of the February 1996 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast and until next time goodbye